Welcome to episode number 182, Into the Mind of Addiction. Addiction is a difficult word. So much of the aura that surrounds the word is dark, destructive, and divisive. We place individuals in historical boxes. The addiction box is one that sits alone in a dark alley, somewhere it cannot be seen. I'm not really sure why we do this. Perhaps it is because often it is so often associated with sin and moral hazard. Maybe it is simply a fear of the unknown. I think sometimes we do so because somewhere deep within us, we fear that just by association, it might strike us like a virus. No matter the reason, when addiction strikes a member of the church, rather than finding a place of refuge, all too often membership is the reason that the alley is so dark and deep. Many individuals within the church pride themselves on self-discipline, and I use the word pride specifically, knowing its religious meaning. There exists nothing wrong with solid self-discipline, but for some reason it evokes emotional isolationism. When someone feels as though they have mastered themselves, somehow emotional class warfare and a caste, religious caste system magically appear. I suppose that you can tell I have some strong feelings about this subject. For some emotional reason, we struggle to embrace those who find themselves caught in the webs strung across our path in life. I personally believe this fear of addiction or fear of the unknown and a pure lack of mercy and understanding. But no, no matter the reason, individuals who have succumbed to addiction are treated closer to the leprous colonies of Christ's day. Having been around and working with those and those several of those who have mental and emotional illness a good portion of my life, I view addiction in a very different light, and with eyes that see and a heart that truly understands. Now, if you personally know someone who is afflicted with addiction and mental and emotional health issues, or you know of families or members of families who struggle with such concerns, then this is your opportunity to understand and to provide strength to the hands that hang down and the feeble knees. Today, I hope to provide some insight that will cause eyes to see and hearts to understand. If you do find my words helpful today, then send them on to someone who might need them. The word addiction or addict does not connotate anything positive, valued, or desired in our society or church. In fact, within our societies throughout the world, addiction and addict are synonymous with immoral, undisciplined, useless, and undesirable. Within the church, unfortunately, we find similar terms, although we use words such as sin, condemned, immoral, covenant breaker, uncommitted, off the covenant path, unworthy, and of course, many others. We tend to relegate discussions of addiction to closed doors, evenings, and isolated rooms. And I realize that most of that isolation tends to deal with privacy, and privacy can and is an important element, but it also tends to cause individuals to feel isolated. We relegate our brothers and sisters with addiction problems in the sin box, in the I can't understand why you do what you do box, or the problem child box. We just wait for them to work themselves out of the box, but, it all, but always with an eye wondering if they will fall back into it. I don't know if someone labeled with social addiction, with the social addiction tattoo, ever really gets beyond that history, when they live in a long history ward. We like to think we forgive and forget, but and maybe we do forgive, but the forgetting takes far too long. Now today I am going to address addiction from a mental health perspective. 
I hope by the end of this podcast you will see addiction and the sense of mental health very differently. Because this is a sensitive topic, and private to many, my voice will be more of a first-person voice. I will use we and I in the sense of many whom I have known. No one person is the subject of this podcast. And while I fully understand addiction in almost every sense of that word, the Lord has been merciful to me in that I have been placed in time and circumstances that have prevented addiction webs from crossing my path. Yes, I have had addictions, but not in the sense that you might think. Alcohol, drugs, pornography, tobacco, sexual indiscretions were not present in my life when those addictions might have occurred. I have been spared what might have been a very different life by the gospel, good parents, a good wife, wonderful children, and some timely interventions. The Lord has shown to me later in my life where exactly he intervened. This is not to say that I am somehow worthy, more worthy than others. No one deserves addiction or the presence of those addictions when mental illness comes with all its dark realities, altered emotions, and hidden consequences. However, many do succumb to addiction because mental illness provides a very unique pathway. When you experience mental illness, such as bipolar or depression or anxiety, your mind is actually wired to be addicted. Now, the same certainly can be said of other mental illnesses. Mental illness changes the patterns in the brain and it blocks many of the needed stop gaps to control addictive pathways. The truth of the matter is simple. Mental illness, and especially bipolar disorder, causes addictive behaviors. Individuals who have never experienced mental illness may not view this as reasonable truth, and so today I'm going to walk through the why and the how. Why I believe that the mind of a bipolar a person experiencing severe depression, and even those with serious anxiety, are actually wired to become addicted. My purpose is to provide those who have fallen into addiction and those who care for them some understanding and some peace. So often those who are addicted and suffering from mental health challenges feel weak, unworthy, and rejected. They don't understand why they succumb to addictive behaviors and why it is so very difficult for them to overcome. Often they are compared and compare themselves to others, without mental health challenges and see failure, defeat, and humiliation as they are unable to control these behaviors. They attempt to control addictive behaviors without addressing the underlying mental health issue. This is like trying to stop sneezing without understanding you have an allergy. Until you address the allergy, nothing is going to improve. When a person who is experiencing mental health challenges realizes that the mind is wired for addiction, then methods, pathways, and managements can be employed to arrest the source of the addiction before it starts and even after it has taken hold. But you must understand that the addiction is a symptom of mental health problems, not the problem. Now let's start with just a basic definition because the definition for many people may not be the same. Now I'm likely to expand and alter this definition a little, but I'm going to start with the psychological definition. Now, I pulled this directly from Psychology Today, and it works for the purposes of this particular podcast. A person with an addiction uses a substance or engages in a behavior for which the rewarding effects provide a compelling incentive to repeat the activity, despite detrimental consequences. Now, addiction may involve the use of substances such as alcohol, inhalants, opioids, cocaine, and nicotine, or behaviors such as gambling. Now, that's the end of the quote. And you could probably add to that, 
definition pornography, remaining in abusive relationships, and engaging in risky behaviors such as adrenaline-seeking activities, and a host of other addictive states where negative consequences or harm could and does occur. So basically, an addiction is something you continue to do for a reward, even though it might be causing you harm. Now, many people have addictions, and certainly not all of them have mental health issues. However, I have found that nearly every person with bipolar disorder and many other mental and emotional health issues do have addictive behaviors and issues, and what can be termed addictive personality traits. Many individuals with bipolar have more than one addiction, and that is true for many individuals with addictions in general. Often one addiction leads to others. Now this is, again, my personal perspective, but I hope that it helps more than just the afflicted person in this case. I hope that this understanding helps church leaders into the complexities of the illness and just how difficult it can be to avoid addiction, addictive behaviors unless you treat the illness. I believe that sometimes we judge individuals far too harshly when it comes to matters of sin and covenants, including bishop's court or state court. I hope that this helps parents, spouses, and friends to understand the nature of the illness and how they can help. Having experienced the illness, I can personally say that our mind during an episode is not in a normal state of agency or ability to judge the nature of good and evil. And yes, I am going to explain how our mind comes to that point where good and evil are not easily discernible. What makes the mind wired for addiction is its inability to foresee consequences and discern good and evil. When you remove the moral barriers that keep us safe through, altered emotion, through the altered emotional state of mental illness, the mind struggles to discipline itself to stay within known and previously understood boundaries. Now, you might think that statement, from that statement, that I feel that we are somehow not responsible for our actions. Now, I don't believe that is necessarily true. While the emotional connection to the spirit may be diminished and the natural emotional guardrails may be removed by our illness, we still have some rational thoughts screaming in our ear. However, it's important to understand when emotions run high and the pain is severe, the rational may not seem rational at all. Rational thoughts are often rational because we feel that they are rational. When feelings are altered in troubling ways, what once seemed rational and moral may no longer feel that way. And yes, even our rational thoughts are controlled by our feelings. Now, while I will discuss traits, concerns, and issues dealing with depression, anxiety, and bipolar, and much of what I will say pertains to all three of these disorders, I'm really going to focus on bipolar disorder. Now, I don't want those with other mental health concerns to think this is some type of slight. I consider what I say pertinent to all three of these disorders. Now, bipolar disorder, in its various forms, cycles between a depressive low state and a mania high state. The easy way to explain these two states from a church-like perspective is that depression, the pre depressive state feels like you are always guilty, and the mania state feels like you are never guilty. Both states create rewiring issues in the brain when you are dealing with addiction. Beyond feeling consistently guilty, the depressive side brings with it an emotional pain at levels normal individuals cannot imagine, and intense pain causes very serious issues with the mind. Pain can be similar in many ways to hunger and thirst. When it rises to a significant intensity, for a period of time the mind becomes entirely preoccupied with removing it and finding solutions to alleviate the pain. 
and when quick solutions or any solution cannot be found, the mind begins to expand their solutions beyond normal, moral, and rational solutions. The longer the pain remains, the greater the expansion of the solutions, and the greater the reduction of the moral, ethical, and rational inhibitors. In addition to pain, depression brings negative guilt-like feelings. It can feel very similar to sin when you are deeply depressed and anxious. Guilt, in a normal sense, is important to our emotional spectrum. It keeps us in balance. Guilt tells us when we have violated laws, promises, and covenants we hold to be true. These laws, promises, and covenants are what we refer to as a conscious or the light of Christ. Basically, we have learned the truths of celestial light in the gospel in pre-mortal realms before this earth life. They come with us as a part of who we are. The light of Christ provides for our ability to remember them, and guilt is the emotion that tells us when we have violated these laws or covenants or promises we made and learned before coming to this earth. Now, guilt can also be a learned experience here in mortality. Guilt is a painful emotion and very good and a very good source of motivation. The brain knows very well how to avoid pain, including guilt, even at the subconscious level. And so when our emotions are functioning normally, experiences that bring us guilt and pain are often avoided before even rising to the conscious brain. When we feel guilt, the body and mind react to remove the pain of guilt. Now we do so probably in many ways, but for the most part, we are going to either bury it or repent of it. Now regarding guilt, when we obtain the spirit through the covenant, the spirit's job is to warn us before we get to the guilt and to help us out of the pain when we get into that guilty stage. The spirit works for the most part through our emotional connections, spiritual experiences, and bringing that pain of guilt to our memory before we repeat the experience and suffer again. The spirit's main job is to help us remember what we know and to parse through the complexity of problems and help us to see the truth of them. Yes, it also comforts us when we have traveled the guilty road and heals us when we have fallen. Now, it's certainly an all-in-one solution for preventing and healing. It is our source of pain and removal and healing. It provides for the emotional sting to be removed and shores up our emotional con moral convictions. So guilt and pain provide for our moral guardrails and the spirit and light of Christ bring those guardrails into focus so we can use them appropriately. Now, on the mania side of the equation, when it is difficult to feel guilt and pain, the chemistry interrupts the emotional connection to remembering pain and, of course, these guardrails. When you struggle to feel pain and remember suffering or even the emotional sting of sin, it can be difficult for the spirit to aid you in avoiding problems. When you struggle to feel guilt or really any negative feeling, you can begin to feel overconfident and as if you are, in a sense, bulletproof physically and spiritually. Now, this is where many people with mania get into trouble. That emotional connection to the Spirit of the Lord that keeps them within the guardrails and protects them from danger, physically and spiritually, can become somewhat disconnected and interrupted. Basically, it's very difficult to feel the Spirit telling you that something is out of bounds. In addition, when you feel bulletproof, consequences melt away from your consciousness. Consequences require that we remember pain, and that is difficult when you are on a mania high. This is where addictive behaviors can become very problematic. If you struggle to see consequences, then addictive substances and behaviors arise. Well, when they arise, you will lack the ability to avoid them. 
Yes, you have logic and reasoning, but when everything feels right, then it can be difficult to avoid. All it takes is the right place, right timing, and one can become easily addicted to various forms of addictive substances and behaviors. This is why you often see individuals with bipolar participate in risky behaviors when they are in a state of mania. Now, the mania state varies, and not all highs are the same. They can vary as much as one might imagine from where you are really not spiritually impaired at all to where you are very impaired spiritually. The problem is that once the high is gone, the guilt does and will come, and so does the depression. The individual is left suffering with pain from the experience and feels not just guilty for this sin or the addiction, but guilty because depression leaves one feeling terribly guilty. These deep feelings of worthlessness and guilt cause the healing power of the Spirit and the Savior's atonement to be almost impossible to feel or hear for any length of time. Burdened with a guilt they can't seem to shake, individuals turn to substances to relieve the pain. This leads to the opposing side of addiction. Power over a pain they cannot control. Pain is the enemy of the brain. I believe I might have said that a few times in my podcasts. The mortal brain will do almost anything to relieve serious pain that is lasting and severe as depression imposes upon our body. Various chemical substances within our current society do a very good job of numbing pain, and it gives the individual some feeling of control over the pain and the illness. Now, they don't see it as, sub- as a substance controlling them, but them controlling their pain and the illness. The individual who suffers with mental illness will struggle to see addictions as addictions because they are not using them for some kind of recreational high. They are using them to self-medicate and to have power over the illness. We don't see self-medication as addiction when we are the ones self-medicating. Now imagine living in a church system that does not understand the illness, does not understand the high of mania or the suffering and pain of depression. But all it can see is the outward signs of addiction and lack of self-discipline. Then isolate that person as sinful, undisciplined, unworthy person, and the addiction is certainly not going to get any better. Isolation increases pain and suffering of depression and causes mania to look for other friends. Individuals with mental and emotional illness do not need anyone to point out their weakness or their addiction. The illness does a wonderful job of that. What they need is mercy and understanding. Mania can be like taking a fully mature and disciplined person with mature spiritual capacity and reverting them back in time and maturity to their teen years and then plying them with a host of high-inducing substances without their consent. How do you think that you personally would do in that situation? Probably not very well. When you reduce what we call our moral inhibitions without our consent, because that is what the mania side of bipolar is, and then place that individual in a compromising situation, you are likely to have bad outcomes. And addiction is certainly part of those outcomes. The same is also true for depression. When everything feels like you are unworthy, unloved, and sinful, then it is difficult to avoid sin. Because in the end, why does it really matter? At least you can have some control of the pain. Now, I have certainly explained things as though we pass through these states without the aid of the spirit or any rational thought or feeling of consequences. Yes, one can feel the spirit, and yes, one certainly can still think rationally, but in varying degrees and for brief periods of time. Sometimes those messages are clearer than others, and sometimes they are very distant. 
However, they are often brief with an illness that is never brief and never relents. Taming an addiction within the confines of mania or depression is near impossible. That is why the illness must become under control, must come under control, before the addiction can often be addressed. Addressing the addiction without addressing the illness is like sewing up a wound without cleaning it. You are likely to create far more problems rather than solving them. So often in the church, we want to address the addiction and the spiritual problem. And so we go about it in normal ways and we fail miserably because we have not addressed the real issue first. A young man or a young woman, a young adult or even a more mature person suffering with bipolar depression or anxiety is not likely to overcome addiction without addressing the mental health issue first. In fact, my experience is that it can aggravate the illness and cause a more serious problem if you attempt to address the addiction without addressing the illness. I have known far too many lost souls who have fallen away because they were told they needed to address the addiction but never got the help they needed to address the mental health concern. I realize that bishops are not mental health experts and it can be a difficult task trying to help someone with an addiction not understanding the underlying issues, but we lose far too many youth in this way far too often, and it's not just the youth we lose. Young adults are often suffering from mental health challenges, and we are addressing, we are addressing the spiritual wounds without addressing the why. When you understand the nature of mental illness and the rewiring of the brain that takes place when addiction is understandable and even expected, when you understand that the spirit is often difficult to recognize or even feel during episodes and that brief periods of spiritual feelings followed by long periods of depression or mania causes the mortal brain to reach for relief in any way possible, then you understand why addiction is so prevalent and even expected in someone who has an unmanaged mental health challenge. When you understand the reason and the torture that someone with depression, anxiety, or bipolar feels, then your heart will melt with mercy and your desire will be to aid rather than to judge. When you understand who they are and what they experience and the pain they suffer, then you will run to them, lift them up, and provide them the help they need. Yes, I know that it can be difficult to see the fallen Samaritan or the Samaritan or the fallen individual in the eyes of someone who is addicted, for they appear to have brought upon themselves their own misery. And yet King Benjamin stated it in this way, Perhaps thou shalt say the man or woman has brought upon himself this misery. Therefore I will stay my hand, and I will not give of to him of my food, nor impart unto him of my substance, that he may not suffer, for his punishments are just. But I say unto you, O man, whomsoever doeth this, the same hath great cause to repent, and except he repenteth of that which he hath done, he perisheth for ever, and hath no interest in the kingdom of God." Now I hope that you understand that I am not saying we must continue to support the addiction. That was not the message of King Benjamin. But we should be merciful and kind, supporting recovery and mental health. We should be willing to expend our resources to help to alleviate the suffering. Yes, these individuals will likely disappoint us from time to time. Addiction is difficult, and sometimes the addiction will be too powerful and the road will lead to difficult ends. But it is so important to remember and see the addiction as the symptom and not the problem when mental health challenges arise and bear their ugly heads. 
I hope that today I've given at least some hope and insight to those of you who deal with addictions and difficult challenges, and I hope that I have provided some understanding to those who are desperately trying to help someone caught in the grasp of that terrible evil. Personally, my heart hurts for those who suffer through the pains and trials of mental illness. I hope that you can see just how beautiful, powerful, and strong you are underneath that illness. If you have addiction, please find help, even if that help might judge you. You are truly a son or a daughter of our God, our Heavenly Father, with power to become like Him. The road to redemption is never easy, but the Good Samaritan, our Savior, will always be with those who suffer, as He was throughout His life on the earth. May He bless you, and like the Good Samaritan, find you in your weakness, lift you up, bring you to the inn, and pay for your redemption and healing. Until next week, Keep up the fight and do your part so that the Lord can do his.